There are whispers of a night where the stories told around campfires are no longer just stories. Where the monsters of our imaginations are no longer bound to ink and paper. Where the dead roam the earth once more to tell us their tales. This is the right of the living dead. That's Unfortunate by Bella Cruz O'Grady. 30 seconds. Heels clicked against the tile noisily. She didn't mind who hurt her. She wanted to be hurt. She wanted everyone to know just exactly who she was. In her bedroom, a doe-eyed girl scrambled to the floor, huddling under her bed. No time to grab a stuffed rabbit. Her only comfort could be found in the collection of dust bunnies residing on the wood floor. 20 seconds. She took on the stairs, the screws in her legs so tight, making it hard to bring each piece of ivory plastic up the six inches to the next. She settled for dragging herself, the scrape making a more stomach-churning sound than the clicks. A tiny heart pounded against a weak chest as mocha-colored skin grew clammy from nerves. Dark black ringlets tickled her cheeks as her head lowered to the rest on the ground. She laid flat on her stomach, trembling furiously. 10 seconds. The heels were off again, pace uneven like a drunk man searching for balance on a rowboat. Nina, come now, doll. This is mighty rude. A sweet country accent, smooth as butter, called through the shadows as her door was pushed open, allowing the dim light from the hall to pour in and illuminate a few feet into the room. Nina held her breath and closed her eyes, placing her hands over her mouth to keep from sobbing. Time's up, honey. The voice dropped to a disordered borrow tone Reaction wasn't an option before the room was painted a deep red. In the morning, another mother would find to come, would come to wake her child and find a mangled frame. In the morning, another father would tell all he knew to an officer or two. In the morning, another little brother would look on curiously from behind his mother's legs, wondering what these people were doing here and when his sister would wake up. Over the next few weeks, boxes of old toys, clothing, and school supplies would be given to friends and family as hand-me-downs. And the next night, another doe-eyed girl, maybe a Jenny, maybe an Elizabeth, maybe a Caroline, would scramble to the floor and huddle under her bed as proud clicking would resonate into the depths of an unfortunate household. Hi, Miss Warfield. Hello. Um, I'm here today to ask you about ghost stories in the auditorium. I heard it's haunted. Um, that's the rumor. Yep. We've got ourselves a ghost or three. Um, have you had any interactions with them? Um, I have, and several of my students have, and several of my audience members, when they've come to see shows, have. Would you like to share a story about it? <laughs> sure. Um, I would say the first time I really noticed it, um, I was sitting in my office, which is at the back of the auditorium in the off the stage, and I was alone in the auditorium. It was my conference period, and I was working on some things, emails or something, and I heard a chair like 
land on the stage, like really loud, like someone threw a chair is what it sounded like. So I jumped up from my desk and I went out there like, who's out there? Who's messing with our stuff? Well, they're not supposed to be in here, right? Everyone's supposed to be in class. And there was nobody out there. It was completely empty. And I had the stage set up for a show. I had, um, I was doing a show called The Diviners. This was a few years back. And I had the chairs up on the stage because we were going to put the audience on the stage. We were doing kind of an intimate setting. And not a single chair was displaced. Everything was exactly where I had set it. Nothing. I was like, okay. Weird. Because that was a really loud noise of a, clearly a chair. And so I went and sat down back in my office. And as soon as I did, it sounded like there were maybe 10, maybe 15 people running around on the stage barefoot and giggling under their breath. Like I heard a bunch of people like running around playing. And so I, I mean, I can hear everything that's happening on the stage from my desk always. I just can't see. So I, I went back around the corner and looked and it's completely empty. Nobody's out there. And I went and stood kind of center stage so I could see through the curtains and see nobody's hiding in there or anything. It's completely empty. So I was like, all right, this is kind of freaking me out. And so I went back to my desk and I just sat at my desk and I heard footsteps coming and going past my office door for the rest of the period. And I decided not to leave my office. I was really freaked out. Like, I'm just gonna wait till the bell rings and my students come in here so I'm not here alone. And, um, and so that evening was opening night of the show. And um, I was still a little freaked out, but it's fine. We're gonna go ahead and let an audience in and start the show and um, Actually, this brings in Deputy Bennett into the story, but he came into the theater because he was working the show. He works all, you know, I always have a deputy working my events. This evening, I was lucky enough to have Deputy Bennett. And I went to the back of the auditorium while the audience was all kidding, kind of getting seated. And I was, oh my gosh, the weirdest thing happened today. And so I told him about it because I hadn't really told a lot of people because I was really freaked out. And he listened to my story and he then told me that the strangest thing had just happened to him on his way to the auditorium. He was doing his rounds on campus and he was on his way to the auditorium and he heard people running up and down the, the bleachers on the football field. And so he went out to the stadium to go like kick the kids out because they shouldn't be out there and there was nobody there. It was empty. There were two people like in the center of the field stretching, but there was nobody anywhere near the the bleachers. And so he started walking away, he took maybe 10 steps and he started hearing it again. He turned and looked and there's nothing. So he was a little freaked out when he came into this room. So it's just, yeah, very strange. Uh, that night, the audience was sitting up on the stage watching the show and one of my student's parents was in the audience and told me at intermission that he had turned, he was just watching the show and something caught his eye and he looked over into the curtains and he saw this white glowing figure in the curtains and he just thought to himself, oh, they have a spirit. And then just nonchalantly turned back to the show and kept watching and he shared that with me after the show. I was like, <gasps> so something was hanging out watching the show. At the end, when, when we were finished with the play, we always strike the set, which means we put it all away. And so I had a big group of people in there helping take everything down. And um, 
I was standing in the corner talking to another two parents who were kind of standing near my office actually on the back part of the stage and we looked and one of my curtains, the curtains are all really, really heavy velvet that are weighed down by a chain on the bottom so that they don't move. The entire curtain moved as if it was like a window shear and it floated all the way out and then like came back and landed and we all three of us stood there watching it and just looked at each other like, did you see that? Like, yeah, it was freaky. And the rest of that year, my students would, while performing, they would catch somebody in the wings, like a, a, a figure hanging out backstage in the wings. Very crazy. That was just kind of the first time I went, hmm. Um, how many ghosts are there and have you tried to have contact with them? Ah, um, it is my guess that we have one or two that hang out on the stage area and then one that is up in our prop storage up in the booth. Um, we see a lot of movement sometimes. It's a big black smudgy thing that goes flying around the room and all of my students can sit together and watch this thing fly around the room. We all see it. So it's not me being crazy. Um, <laughs> um, we have, I think I've had some students try to have contact with it. I try not to pay it much mind because I, I think that I don't know, I read somewhere or I heard somewhere that um, if it is a ghost, they they kind of feed off of attention, whether it be positive or negative attention. So um, we do we do sage the theater um, at least twice a year, So, um, which is a Native American tradition of cleansing a space. So we just use dried sage and we it's called smudging. We do that and that actually helps a lot. We have a lot less activity after we do that. But it's, I think that, I don't know, I've asked a lot of people because it weirds me out. Um, <laughs> we have a lot, if you think about it, we have a lot of old props um, that are like antiques or from estate sales and things like that. And we also have a lot of costumes from Goodwill. We don't know, you know, sometimes things attach themselves to items. So um, I keep my costumes down here, which is maybe why it hovers around this area and up in the prop room. That might make some sense. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Um, has a ghost ever interfered uh, with the show that it was just awful? No. Um, I actually think that um, a lot of theaters are considered haunted. Um, there's a theory that ghosts tend to be drawn to the theater because we're reenacting life. I mean, we're, 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 that's the definition of theater is the imitation of life. So um, if you think about it, it uh, theater is always a high emotional thing. It's either really, really funny or really, really sad or really, really tragic or, or very romantic. It's always heightened emotion. So I think that earthbound spirits tend to be maybe drawn to that. I don't know. That's a theory. <laughs> so um, when we're doing a show in the middle of a production, like when there's an audience and I, I no, I think it's they're watching it. <laughs> I think they're enjoying the show. Um, it's usually when we're working on the show, when we're in rehearsals or we're trying to get a set ready, that there's some mischievousness going on. Um, I had a cable snatched out of my hand once from above. There was nothing above. 
So I was like holding a microphone cable and it got torn out of my hands um, while I was, and I grabbed it again. It got yanked out of my hands a second time. I was like, all right, I'm not going to touch it right now. Just weird <laughs> moments like that. Um, and the example I gave when we were striking the set of the curtains moving and things like that. So maybe it doesn't want the shows to be done. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I like all the shows. So I don't there know. you go. <laughs> Thank you for speaking with us today. My pleasure. Anytime. Come on down. Get spooked out. <laughs> Free Heads by Miranda Cornell. Mother always warned me of the witch's shop. The shop whose windows were clouded with grime. The shop where frog hearts, cow bones, and lizard tongues were sold. The shop that was always open. She said that it was cursed that the witch ate children that didn't listen to their parents. But Thomas said that mother was lying, that the witch's shop didn't exist. So why then am I standing out here, looking at the witch's shop with its dirty windows and its open sign that flickers every couple of seconds? My hand itched to reach for the door's rusted handle, to wander inside to discover what secrets lay in the witch's shop. A wave of guilt and panic rushed over my body as I entered the store. I had entered the place my mother told me to stay away from. The place that wasn't supposed to exist. The air inside was thick and made it hard to breathe. The store smelled of old books and strong chemicals that burned my nose. Shelves that reached the ceiling filled the store and held thousands of bizarre trinkets. My eyes were attracted to a mason jar that sat on the nearest shelf. Inside the dusty jar was a thick, murky green liquid that resembled Mother's boiled greens. As I reached for the odd jar full, I couldn't help but feel a slight breeze down my neck. Interesting find, Muck from the Black Swamps. I jerked away from the voice. As a yelp escaped my lips, the voice cackled. Jumpy? I turned towards the voice to reveal an old wrinkled woman. She was stooped over. A walking stick in hand, her frail body was covered by multicolored scarves with beads and coins adorning their ends. Her hair was a stringy gray mass that sat atop her head. Her earlobes were stretched halfway down her neck by large golden earrings. Her fingers were decorated by brightly colored rings that made it difficult for her to bend her fingers. She smiled at me, revealing missing, broken teeth. Are, are you the witch? The old woman raised a silver eyebrow. Maybe, maybe not. She slowly turned around and started walking further into the store. Not knowing what to do, I followed her. She led me to a dark room in the back of the store. She, she flipped a switch, turning on the lone, bare bulb that resided in the room. My eyes widened as my gaze locked on the rows of life-sized mannequin heads. Are, are those real? The woman smiled at me. No, my child. But they look the part, don't they? I nodded and looked back at the realistic mannequin heads. Would you like one, my child? She asked. I nodded, still looking at each head's features. Well then pick one out. I scanned the rows of shelves. Finally one caught my attention. That one. I lifted up a chubby finger and pointed at a small head that was on the bottom row. The woman gave me a knowing look. Why that one? I, I shrugged. It reminds me of my long-lost sister. Her, her eyes widened, but she didn't question me. 
She walked over to the shelf and gently picked up the small, childlike head. She placed it in my hands. I was surprised at how light and intricate the head was. Thank you. I said, looking down at the head I was cradling. Behind me, the old woman cleared her throat. Now run along. You don't want your mother to worry. She gently pushed me towards the front of the store. Taking the hint, I ran out of the old building that housed wonders and secrets. As soon as I ran out the front door, I noticed that the head I was carrying grew heavier, but I paid little attention to it. I ran through town, ignoring the stares and shouts I received from the townspeople. I continued to run until I reached my countryside home. My mother and I lived in a single-story, cozy farmhouse that sat on the outskirts of town. Behind the house, rolling green hills were decorated by vibrant wildflowers. Over here, William. I scanned the yard for my mother, finally spotting her hanging clothes up to dry, her apron fluttering around her as the wind caught its lacy edges. Mother, look! Look! I yelled as I ran towards her, holding my prize in front of me. Mother turned around, but as soon as her blue eyes landed on me, horror contorted her features. A scream pierced the air! Mother, what's wrong? I was confused. I started to walk towards her, but she quickly backed away, kicking over her basket of clean laundry. No, get away. It can't be. Mother cried. I I winced at Mother's yells. Why was Mother acting like this? Finally, I looked down at what I thought was a porcelain doll head, only to see that it wasn't fake anymore. The skin was cold and blue like the ocean in the winter. The eyes seemed to stare into my soul, glazed over, milky. There was no sign of their bright blue color they once possessed. They didn't sparkle in the sunlight or betray her emotions. No, now they were they were pieces of mushy flesh anchored by nerves in her head. My fingers were tangled in the dirty auburn hair that was once soft and smooth. Leaves and twigs made their home in the frail strands and dirt dyed the tips of murky brown. Her lips were cracked, void of any softness or moisture there. They they were no longer the lips that kissed my forehead every night. As I studied her dead features, I felt cold blood run down my shirt, staining it a crimson red. My arms froze as horror and shock combined, rendering me still. Tears ran down my face, dripping under her pale blue skin. Why, sissy? Why? I asked the head, tuning out the screams and police sirens in the background. Like I was put into a trance, I stared at sister's decayed head. Running my fingers through her tangled hair, a hand grabbed my shoulder, jarring me out of my trance-like state. I glanced behind me to see an officer with a sorrowful and sympathetic expression peering down at me. Son, it's okay. We're here now. I let them take away my sister in stained clothes. They brought me to a police station that was on the other side of town. They led me to a small gray room that held only tables and chairs. I sat down in the cold metal chair and folded my hands in my lap. I stared at the floor, looking at my tattered running shoes. My face was red and poofy from crying. I listened as the door opened and softly shut. I slowly looked up to see an officer with a file in his hands walk to the other side of the metal table and take a seat. Your name is William, right? He asked, shuffling through the papers the file contained. I nodded. Finally, the man settled on an almost blank document. Where did you find your sister's head? I opened my mouth to speak, but no words came out. I closed my mouth and shrugged. Did someone help you find it? Again, I didn't answer the man. 
The officer let out a tired sigh and ran his fingers through his hair. Do you have anything to say, Will? Finally, I found the words I needed to answer his question. Don't go into the witch's shop. sunrise crawls over the horizon, bringing with it a new day. You are safe for another